0: Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Conversations on Conversations where each week we explore a topic or topics to help us have more powerful conversations with ourselves and with each other. I'm your host Sarah Noel Wilson and I am I'm so I'm excited for multiple reasons. I mean full disclosure I'm going on vacation tomorrow so I'm feeling loose and excited but joining joining us today is my dear dear friend Mark Labusk. And so hi welcome to the show Mark.
1: Thanks for having me Sarah. It's and I'm excited too cuz I'm going on vacation but not for another week but uh, it's just gone winter here in Australia in the in where I'm in the southern states and I'm heading off to the northern states where it's well 34 degrees for us every day up there so a bit like you, I'm very, very happy to be getting out of the cold.
0: Yeah. No. Well, so let me tell everyone a little bit about you, Mark. I'm going to read your formal bio, bio and then we're going to talk about how you and I met, which was this beautiful chance meeting. So, Mark Labusk, is a universal. He's universally known as the Human Manager, and his proven techniques for elevating leaders and energizing employees make him an internationally sought-after speaker, facilitator, mentor, and coach. His book, Being Human, and his little book of human have challenged the way managers and organizations view the value of the 100-year-old management system and has sparked a more human approach across the globe, which is so neat. It was always, I mean, we're going to get into this. It was always needed. It's really needed now. Okay, but I have more to say about Mark. He has developed and refined his human manager model over a 25-year career in sales, operations, and general management, delivering measurable improvements in employee engagement, team performance, and business results, even in today's climate of fast-paced change and uncertainty. He has an innate ability to both speak and seek the truth, provoke humans to step into their own reality, and skillfully combines practicality and simplicity with textbook theory. Mark is Harvard Business School trained and is an accredited practitioner in adaptive leadership and instincts at work and is affectionately known as a certified bogan. What's a bogan?
1: Well, is, is that an
0: Australian is, phrase or Well,
1: it's funny because when I'm talking to um some people around the world they know what that term is but a bogan's a bit like so imagine this I was when I was 15 I had a like we call it a mullet like it's like the sure. the, 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 the long you know yeah. the, the long <laughs> part, part, hair in the back, back and business that's up front. the one that's the one and um <laughs> and not only did I go for them not only did I go for the mullet but I had colors in it as well so I had it <laughs> colored and also I got it permed as well so I ended up with like a curly mullet so
0: are are there photos and can we include them in the show notes these are the two questions I need to
1: know (laughs) I could find some photos I I don't have a problem with with that because I think that you know all the better that there are still bogans in the world so that's that's a little bit about me that's the bit I like most in my bio all the rest of it sort of is a bit it's like it's a bit embarrassing when you hear people read it out but um I'm I'm so happy to to be here with you,
0: I'm I'm thrilled to be here. What else besides your sweet hairstyles would you want people to know about you?
1: Wow, um, oh, look, I'm I'm a pretty pretty simple human being. I I like the I'm very pragmatic. I I just like the world to be simple, practical. I like I've got a got a I've got three sausage dogs at home, <laughs> Billy. Frankie and Doug. I've got also three children. I should have maybe mentioned the children first. I've got a 28-year-old son, Sam, and a 26-year-old daughter, Amy, 24-year-old daughter, Zoe. Um, been married for 31 years and we live just out of the the city itself in Melbourne. So um, there's some of the human things about me.
0: I love it. <clears throat> I love it so much. A little bit, I wanna, I want to talk about our meeting. So we've known each other since February, February of 2019. And the reason I know that date so well is because we met at Work Human, a conference that is held by the WorkHuman folks. And we met at a chance moment on the expo floor with my colleague Kristen Souter. Mark, you were wearing I think it was be like Frankie. I think it was your be like Frankie shirt. Yep. I realized I told Nick I was like, oh shoot, I should be wearing his shirt right now. And then I was like, I don't think it fits me anymore. <laughs> so <laughs> I went school librarian for you. Today. <laughs> but <laughs> um, but Kristen complimented you first. She, well, she asked you as a point of curiosity. She said, hey, what's up with your shirt? And then um, you explained it. And then w- you asked about our shirts. And then we sat down and we ended up having a fairly quickly to the point, honest conversation just about the work we did. And just for perspective for people, I think we had only been talking 10-15 minutes and we, we jumped right into so like, how are you charging? What are you charging? And what does this look like? And you're like, I'm just going to tell you. <laughs> and here we are having this deep conversation and um, and one thing I remember from it, I don't know if you remember this, but one of the things, because we had just, you know, we had only been, um, how, long had you, how long had you been running your company at, at that point uh, in 2019? About
1: five, five or six years.
0: Yeah. So we, you know, we were on year one and still figuring things out. <clears throat> and I remember you saying, oh, you know, I charge this. And I was like, someday, someday I'm going to charge that. And And I don't remember how it came up, but I said something to the effect of, I really want to show, um, i like, I really want to inspire, uh, women to charge more. And, and you said, so point blank, do you know how you do that? And I was like, no, how? And you're like, charge more. That's it <laughs> it such a, it was such a, just, yep. Yep. That's a really good point. And, I'll, um, and-
1: <laughs> look, I, 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 um, I really fondly remember that. And I'm so glad that that there was the curiosity about the shirt. But what I really loved most about the conversation was that 10 minutes into it, um, it was full disclosure. It was like, yeah. so something happened. And, you know, just the fact that somebody asks a question, I think there's a real message in that. And look, we had a great conversation. Um, and then we caught up and we had a, I think we had a beer later on that night yeah. as well, the three of us. And it was just, I came away from that thinking to myself, I've found some more great humans. And I was just so grateful that someone asked me the question, but I was also reasonably grateful and from my own perspective to go, I could have said, oh yeah, that's Frankie and he's in my book and sort of waved to you and walked past. But there was actually something in the moment where I went, Mm. no, they're they're good human beings and I wanna hang out with them for a bit. So I, I, and here we are again, like three years down the track and we still love to catch up.
0: Yeah. I mean, you know, we still like check in and go, oh, I just had a really tough session or this happened. And, and yeah, I mean, and it was that openness to not just be transactional. I mean, you know, this whole show is about how do we think differently about our conversations? And we, it could have been a really easy transactional relationship or interaction that we had. And instead it was, it turned into something much more transformational and you know, and I remember in our conversations at the the bar afterwards of, oh, you, like, you're the first person I know who's, who's familiar with adaptive leadership. And you're the first, I mean, an immunity to change. And I remember just being like, who who are you? <laughs> and then I was like, I think I found my Australian counterpart.
1: <laughs> I, know, I thought the same thing. It was like, the, the excitement that comes from, like, I think it comes in a couple of ways. It also comes when you meet people that don't think like you and don't yeah. like have the same passion for certain leadership models and frameworks and things like that. But it just it was it was a bit crazy because we were like, you'd say something and I would go, <laughs> oh yeah, I love that, and then I'd say something, you go, oh I really love that, and it's like, <laughs> hang on, what's how did this moment in time happen? And I go, I'm, I'm a bit of I'm a bit of things happen for a reason. Like I went to that conference for a reason, and one of the greatest things I got out of the conference, and there was many, was the chance meeting and, and the fact that we're now, you know, not talking as regularly as we may both like, but geez, we don't when we get back onto something like this, it's like we were sitting at um in that sort of, you know, open foyer in um in Nashville.
0: Yeah, no, for sure. It I was uh we're getting <clears throat> ready to to go to a conference to the Sherm conference. And I I made a comment to my colleagues who had never been to one of these. I said, listen, you know, our goal is to meet as many great people as we can. But the best thing that came out of Work Human was meeting Mark Leboosk and like, uh, you know, and if that's what happens, then that's what was that was meant to happen. And, and you know, and I think that um, the thing that's been really fun, I mean, and we're not we're not just so people are listening. We're not just going to talk about Mark and Sarah and how we're great. And
1: it's like, <laughs> um, you know what, but- Ex- excuses <laughs> listeners for the Mutual Admiration Society, but we'll stop soon. <laughs>
0: But, but I think the thing that is so great is having, having someone who can push you or to validate, you know, in the work you're doing is been important. You know, it's, we'd love to catch up personally, but so here, so here's where, here's where I'm curious. So we'll, we'll get off the admiration train for a little bit and we'll get onto the Mark train. You for all intents and purposes, were you know high power sales guy, you were killing it, crushing it, whatever the <laughs> bro language is, you know. And then, and then there was a change, and you have been so focused for, you know, the better part of as you've you know your twenty five career, of of thinking differently about what does it mean to be a manager, what does it mean to be a leader so i i'm curious because i'm sure we talked about this but let's let's go back and what was your journey from being sort of traditional typical sales money number driven to being so human first focused now
1: um great question sarah so and it was a journey and it was a 25 year one so i guess the first thing i'd say is that it wasn't like a a, a moment an epiphany and then bang the next day i'm I'm a different person. Um, it started with me being I've got two Marks in the workplace, Bad Mark and Good Mark. Mm. So let's start with Bad Mark, who was um, early to mid-20s and had been overpromoted well past his level of competence. So high ego, um, little care for others at that time. It was all about I remember it was all about me getting to a certain title before I turned 30. And I treated people really badly. I treated people mm. as units of labor and outputs and what they could do for me. I didn't trust them. They had to demonstrate brilliance to be trusted um, because I didn't think anyone could do it like I could. So I, I had all of the I had all the, the qualities of that manager that I try and help people not be today, the micromanager um, playing the, let's call it the low integrity politics. Mm. Um, And, you know, and it was really interesting because, you know, I would never have a brilliant year. I might be 10% over, maybe 2% under, whatever it might have been. But if I think about we're a survival species, I reckon I was trying to survive Mm. and thrive at the same time. Now, thriving back then was about a title. So Mm. um, I did some horrible things, including at one stage, and I'll share this, I put a private investigator onto one of my salespeople. (laughs) I just saw your face.
0: I don't, I don't mean to laugh. I mean, I'm not like I'm, I'm um, shocked and I want to hear more.
1: Yeah, so um, I'd, I'd, I'd been having some conversations with some big customers and just asking about, you know, have, when's the last time you saw such and such? And they said, oh, it's been a while. I'm like, oh, okay. So um, rather than going to speak to the person, hmm. I decided I'd engage a private investigator to follow them for a week. And, um, and then sat them down and mm-hmm. asked them to walk me through their sales report and then said, well, I don't think that's what you've been doing. And uh, then I showed them some evidence of the things that I knew because here's what you've been doing, been leaving mm-hmm. home at 4 p.m. And um, what I subsequently found out, which makes me feel pretty bad, was that they had some issues going on that they had to deal with at home, but I didn't mm-hmm. care about that stuff back then. So there was this, this drive to be the best and to be sitting around the big table with, you know, at, at in the mid-20s, that's pretty big to be sitting around a table with, you know, the, the the higher executives in the business. And and I know I got made redundant, Sarah, so um, I've never been rejected in my life you know, mm. I'd always made the sporting teams and I'd sort of got everything that I wanted. I think I was spoilt as a kid as well. Always had the best, you know, the runners and all the best gear. And um, so it set me up for a moment where I was made redundant and I behaved like an absolute prat. So I basically mm. told everyone what I thought of them and and uh, and then I continued on doing that. So I, mm. I, I changed and I went for work for other organisations, but, you know, nothing changed. It was all the same sort of stuff until... I sort of got to a point and I, I think, the, I think the, the good mark thing happened over about 10 years where you start to listen to feedback from people and you start to take it on. You don't, you don't ignore the feedback and say, oh, that's Sarah, she said that and she doesn't mm. like me. It's, so you start to take it on and you go, I reckon there's some things that need to change. So some self-awareness started to creep into my, my world and, and then I really started to get frustrated with the system Mm-hmm. because every time we were going to change we didn't and and you know everything changes but everything stays the same and I started then I'm going to say to become a bit of a a bit of a maverick and I'm like I'm just going to try some things which ultimately landed with my experiment that I ran for two years as a sales director that which was asking myself a question of what would happen if I treated my people like human beings now that mm-hmm. sounds really bad but for two years I I unlearned what I'd learned and I basically sat down with an A3 sheet of paper. I wrote the word trust in the middle of it. I wrote a whole lot of things around that that I'm going to experiment with, which one of them including experimenting with myself. And mm. over two years I saw, I talked about, you know, just getting the results before. We saw, you know, results that were 200% ahead of target in year one and 198% in year two on a triple target in year two. And people said to me then, well, what are you doing and I, my simplicity was this: I'm actually just treating my people like human beings. So that was the that was the 25 year journey that then took me out to what I do today, which was I want to bring this work to the world rather than to 40 people or 400 people or 4,000 people in an organisation. It's like take it to millions. So that's yeah. that that's the journey.
0: Well, I appreciate you sharing that, and it's one of the things that I admire about you is your. Your your willingness to not only be vulnerable, but to own it, to own own how you showed up, to own the harm that you may have caused, likely caused the impact that you you had, and and that um, that journey of considering new possibilities. Because I think that it's it can be hard sometimes when you're in a system that. Is still operating with the old way of humans are assets. They are a means to an end. They are to be, dare I say, exploited for us to be more productive. And it can be hard to imagine a new possibility when you've never experienced that. <clears throat> Excuse me. Or that's, yeah. you know, the people around you.
1: Yeah, look, it's, and, and, you know, when I talked about the impact on people at work, it wasn't just impacting people at work, it was impacting my family as well. Mm-hmm. So, Um, But when you're in the middle of the system and it's rewarding you and you're feeling good Mm. and like you you don't – there's two things happen here. You either can't see what's going on or you can see it and you choose what Margaret Heffernan calls willful blindness. You just look the other way Mm. because it's easier for you to to do that because the rewards are going to keep coming. And, you know, I can blame the system but what I really look at is – um, and, you know, Linsky says this, my part in the mess, and my part in the mess was my ego was just controlling everything for me. Um, and, you know, over time, you find out as you get a bit older, you start to realize and and you start to listen that maybe that's not the best version of me that I could be. Hmm.
0: That that willful blindness, I think, is a, such a powerful one, because, I mean, we see that in organizations. Oh, I mean, we see it with ourselves. We might be like, yeah, maybe there's something true about that, but probably not because I have really good intentions and I'm a good person. And therefore I'm, you know, kept from any, anything, any negative impact that I might make. But we certainly see that in organizations, especially if you have someone who is produce quote unquote producing, who's productive, who right is the brilliant jerk They're Yeah. They're getting stuff done, but they're leaving some cuts along the way. And, uh, and and that's a choice too. So a lot of the work you I know that you do and you and I do so, somewhat similar work although maybe we approach it different. I like okay, so here's how I explain Mark to people when I talk about you is I go Mark is not afraid to go for the jugular. Like he is not afraid to just call out the bullshit and I will just lovingly remind them there's a jugular I can go for which can be just as effective. Mm. <laughs> but um but let's talk about let's talk about common traps or patterns that keep people uh particularly managers. Let's talk about people who are in those positions of power and authority that have a ton of influence not just over the organization but also over the people. Um and you know, what are some of the most common patterns? I mean, there are things that you've talked about just with your own experience, right? Being too focused on the ego, chasing the title, chasing the you know chasing the the i mean literally chasing the power uh, but what what are some of the things that that you see that people might n- not um what do i want to say it's kind of sneaky like a sneaky thing yeah. of right yeah. does that make sense
1: absolutely it does so look the common thing i remember when in the in the sort of transition into a let's call good mark that the, the the biggest common trap is that we we failed to look at ourselves as the first experiment because Mm. um, we are an experiment. And then this is what really started to change things for me. That if I was going to, if I was going to become a a more human manager, that it had to start with me and it had to start with me um, asking myself the questions that I wanted to avoid. Like what sort of give, it's almost like giving myself a, my own performance review, and not just about the technical stuff, but really more about how I turned up as a human being. So one of the common traps is that we we allow others to do that for us. And I'll give you the great mm-hmm. example. And I, I do think there are some good ones, but there are many of them that are just lazy. And that's um, psychometric profiling. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. what we and do is we, we get profiled <laughs> and it's like, oh, I'm, that's me. Therefore... That's okay, because that's the way I am. I'm I'm a red, or I'm a blue, mm, or whatever I'm it having might a be. red day. Yeah, I'm having a red day, and it's okay. And then you know, these are all the other red people, and they're like me, but I don't seem to get on well with these. And it's like, you know what? It's called I call it corporate crystal balling. So mm-hmm. it's very very easy for me or anyone to hide in that. That's just me, and that means you can avoid doing the hard work. So I think that's the starting point: is that um, the common trap is that we allow other people to put us mm. into a box, and then we can then justify the way that we are. Mm. Um, that's the first one. I think the second one is that we we only see one type of work, um, and I see two types of work. There's the technical work, which is really, really important. It's the, it's the progress, projects, the programs, the processes, the strategy, all of that day-to-day stuff that... It's sort of like the engine room of the business. It's very tangible stuff, Sarah. We can see it. It's in mm-hmm. KPIs and these things. And then there's the human work. And that's the intangibility of compassion, empathy, um, all of those sorts of things that connection, belonging, all of the things that I, I have a great, I, I, I have such a visceral reaction to the term soft skills. Mm, yeah. I've just done a podcast about that where I was very, Not too complimentary about those that use that term. I call them essential human skills. Now, the trap here for a a manager is that they say, I'll do that other stuff when I've done the real work. Mm, mm. So that's a story that we tell ourselves. And that story is given to us when we become a manager in what I think we get handed, which is the informal management 101 book. It, don't show vulnerability. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, but this is the bad book. Oh, I see, I see
0: what you're saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Keep going. Don't I, don't, I, I, don't I'm show
1: vulnerability. You. Don't show weakness. Make sure you look like what you're doing. Um, make sure you micromanage your people. Make sure that you show them that if they're like you, they're going to be brilliant because you're brilliant. So there's all of these things, and I think that's the other trap is we. What I want to see people do is combine the strengths of their technical proficiency with their their humanness and see the power that comes from that which is no more 3% over it's 200% over. Right.
0: Um,
1: and then I think the other one is look we're, we're we're competitive beasts. All right? We're competitive. So and we keep we keep talking about collaboration but the way that we work is we're com- we're basically competing with our peers, we're competing with our people that report to us, we're even competing with our own one-up managers and that doesn't allow us to get then into the human areas of connection and belonging and you know cooperating and doing all of those sorts of things so I think it's very much about I talk about this a lot and you know this Sarah it's Mm -hmm. like the last thing I'm going to say is if you turn your mirror around this is the last tip I'd give to managers at the moment is if you are truly wanting to become more human in your management style more effective is turn the mirror around from facing outwards to facing inwards and that's this is the hardest work to do because you yeah. might see some things you don't like.
0: It's the, uh, you know, when I, I was just talking with a client today of when we talk about when when we use the word curiosity, we're not talking about to be curious when it's comfortable and fun. That's easy. I'm talking to be curious of when do I micromanage? When Who am I in competition with that I don't need to be? Because I think that. Something that has just become so crystal clear for for me, especially over the last four years of having this front row view like you do. I mean, we have a really unique perspective and opportunity to see lots of different teams, lots of different organizations, is that there, yes, there are people who are malicious, narcissistic, who, who truly don't care, right? Um, you know, we're going to drive profits Regardless, that that does exist. I'm not going to say that that doesn't. And there's a much smaller group of people who are just, you know, constantly intentional, showing up, right, in a very human way. But the vast majority of us fall somewhere in the middle. And I think sometimes when people think of ineffective managers, managers who might create harm, managers who are toxic, they think only about the group that and it's like, no, 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 that this happens a lot. And we don't even realize it because we're so you know, that the the mirror is out, the story we tell ourselves is loudest instead of what's the reality. So I want to unpack a couple of things that you said, one, anyone who knows me and and knows our work, and you can already hear how we share a lot of similar values, is that idea of experimenting. And, and, and I love that language of, we have to look at ourselves as our first experiment. And so I, I want to just expand on that a bit of from your perspective, why is that language so important to you? And um, uh, I'll just, yeah, I'll just stop there, you know, because it's very intentional for you as it is for me. But I'm curious to hear when you think about like, you are your first experiment. What is it about that language that you think is important and unlocks something different than like, Read this book and do this stuff.
1: Yeah. Um this is we could go on forever with this. So so for me, um I think we get this craziness in our mind that that there's just one big goal at the end. Mm-hmm. And let's go after the big, they call it the big, hairy, audacious goal. And what I say is that that we are we are an experiment. Life is an experiment. Life also includes work, which is an experiment as well, and it is a They are a series of small experiments. So you don't. We we seem to have this crazy idea that we need to go after the big thing. And I say, no, let's break it back down as managers into a series of small, safer experiments that if they don't quite go right, there's not going to be a significant drawback to you as the human being or to your team as well. Um, But the experimental mindset means that it's okay for us to try things and fail. Um I, I love a term I've got a a, a a dear friend here by the name of Julie tickle who's a head of um, she's the chief people officer for a big organization here in one of our states and she calls it flirtning like <laughs> <Learning>. <laughs> yeah I love it um, you know is about failing and learning at the same time now you you can't do that unless you have an experimental mindset because the great experimenters of the world have been people that haven't just had a linear Rise to oh that worked well oh that went well they had Mm -hmm. times where things didn't go well so so I when I'm going to give you a very concrete example is when I went down the path of good mark with the what would happen if I treated my people like humans my first experiment after the question was I now to need to experiment with how I look at trust Mm. and and I basically did a 180 to go from you have to earn my trust to you have my trust implicitly until such a time that you don't have it because something's happened between us. And what that did for me, the data that came back from that for me was twofold. One was that the relationships seemed to get better, not straight away, but when when it was demonstrated that I had people's backs and, and whatnot. Um, and the other side of that really was that I had to spend far less energy on watching for when they weren't trustworthy mm, mm. to just making <clears throat> the assumption that they are trustworthy so I could use that energy for good and not for evil. So that's that's an example of the experimental mindset, which I know that you love it as well. And how do we teach it into people? I think we say to them and for people that are listening, it's like small steps, don't run too many experiments at the same time. I always tell my clients, go back and do one thing. Right. And then one of them will go, oh, I want to do three things. And I go, that's because, you know, you're such a, you've got a busy mind, but guess what's going to happen? (laughs) You're not going to do any of them. So just go and do, try one thing. So that's where experimentation, I think, becomes critical as a manager um, to be effective for yourself. Start with yourself and then encourage others to do the same thing.
0: It's uh no, I mean you're you're singing you're singing to my heart on that one. I am, you know, especially when it comes to building rebuilding trust. It's these small moments, you know. I mean, big moments can break a relationship for sure, but it's just the consistency of smaller moments, and you know, the way I always think of it is like micro intent, like micro actions for macro impact. Yep. More with Mark Lebusque in a moment. You said something that I wanted to go back to because I know it wasn't intended as a throwaway, but you know, one of the things with this show is we always want to, I want to find moments of pausing from the standpoint of this is a practice you can do, right? So for people who are listening, a practice you can do is what small experiment do I want to run? Just one thing and make it small. So it's not, I'm going to listen better. It's when I'm in conversation with Mark today, I'm going to listen differently to him, make it real, real micro. But you said something when you were talking about when you work to flip your mindset around, you have my trust, you 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 you, you earn my trust versus you have to lose it. It costs you less energy. And I, I just, I want to explore that a bit because I think sometimes, um, we hear when we're doing work related to relationship building, when we're, you know, doing work with human is it feels so inefficient or ineffective, right? That it's like, it's just not as, it's not as efficient when in actuality, um, spending a little bit of time up front actually will make you go further, faster, longer. And so I'm just curious to to get your thoughts and to tease that out a bit, because yeah. I think sometimes we think, oh, it's it's new and it's different and it feels cumbersome. Instead of realizing it's actually going to free up a ton of space in your head. It's going to free up a lot of worry in your head. If you're just like, okay, well, I'm going to trust them until they give me a reason to not. And I need to have trust in myself that I'll know when that moment is right? I mean, we can talk about that related to remote work and people are like, "Well, wow, people aren't really working. Well, how were you measuring them before? Because they were sitting in the seats. Is that how you were measuring? Right? <laughs> you know,
1: like- I think it's, you know what, it is the greatest example. And if people aren't taking this as an example of why you can implicitly trust 99.99% of your people, well, they're so caught in the old system that they should maybe consider a new career in, I don't know, back office somewhere where, where there are no people. So here's the thing, um my survival instincts were kicking in really hard at me when I started to say I'm going to change the way I look at trust because it was telling me don't do that mm. because something bad's going to happen and then you're going to look bad so keep using that energy for seeking to find the time where people aren't trustworthy mm. which can justify the story within your mind so I was there was a story that People can't be trusted. And so that's where I was, that's where I started. And that's that's that burns up a lot of cognitive yeah. energy. So, but also gonna say this: some of these people I'd worked with for up to 10 years in this new team that I had in in different ways, maybe not directly with them, but indirectly. And I'd actually done some pretty bad things to them. Mm. And at times they'd done some things to me. So there was this other little file that was there going remember this file in mm. your bad news filing cabinet I talk about this a lot the 80% of our thoughts are negative 20 are positive like just pull the file out and remind yourself mark that things won't go well here if you become gullible and you become soft and you just become the pushover because that's what that's what this voice was telling me if you're going to go down this pathway of implicitly trusting you're weak mm. you're vulnerable mm. now you're all mm. these things and and you know, I had to hold my nerve on that. And I use those words a lot um, for myself and for my clients. It's like, this thing's not going to get better in a week. Right. And actually it took months, there for to me to start to see that this could work. And there were moments where I could have slipped back into the old way, but I had to hold my nerve in those moments. And they were scary too, let me sure. tell you, because I'd be like, what if this doesn't work? what does it do to my career so there was a whole mm-hmm. lot of conversations going on in my mind but the overarching conversation was related to that question of what would happen if i treated my people like human beings and i think it took about 3 or 4 months before we started to really see that it was kicking in but um and they were they were uncomfortable months but as we've talked about before if you're not in some level of discomfort you're not really practicing leadership
0: right yeah and if did it's, that, did it, that make sense? Yeah, no, it totally made sense. And what was coming up for me as you were talking, a few episodes back, we we interviewed somebody, uh, Nick Papadopoulos. He's a coach who specializes in working with men and in intimacy. And one of the things that we spent a lot of time talking about, particularly, I mean, we were looking at it through the Western lens, but you know, there's some a lot of similarities um, between our cultures, or a lot of differences, but how th- those those beliefs are so much stronger in men than women because it's like the worst possible thing for you to be weak as a man and emotions are a weakness and uh being vulnerable is a weakness and having relationships is a weakness and and it's one of the things especially since that conversation and and since i've been exploring that it's made me wonder you know again because largely the people who are still in positions of power are men yeah that like, that's part of that, You I mean, that, that dominant culture um, behaviors of you don't have relationships, you don't show emotions, you don't get close. And yet, and this, and I don't say this in, in a disparaging way, it's just the cultural conditioning, right? And yet, because I know you see it in your work that when people have the opportunity to feel safe to like actually express how they feel when they have the opportunity to connect with someone deeply when they have that opportunity to be able to show their full human self it we all crave it as humans yeah. and i and i know even in your work so for those of you if you if you start following Mark, and hopefully you will, he'll post photos of his workshops and his workshops are not behind desks. Everyone is sitting in a circle very intentionally, very intentionally to turn up the heat a little bit. And I, I can imagine um, that 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 untangling or that unwiring almost. I mean, we are we are humans are wired for connection. We're yep. wired to be seen. We want to be safe. And yet, right, we're having to undo so many rules that we've been told, especially in the workplace. Well, no, you can't. can't do this in the workplace. I just said a bunch of stuff. So I'm curious to know what comes up for you. As yeah, sure.
1: No, I think that's I love the curiosity with this. So I just ran a session only two days ago um, with about 30 people, and there was not a PowerPoint slide for a day. Mm. And they're like, they 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 walk in and they see the room and they're ooh. oh. And um, I wish I knew what it was. I know that this is going to sound a bit um, self-indulgent, but there's some something that I do pretty quickly where people start to open up. And mm. I just got a lovely email back from one of them today going, we cannot believe what happened in that room in mm. within the first 30 minutes. And maybe one thing I do know is if you're going to do that work, you better go first. So mm. I'm very, very good at, putting myself out there and I say to my clients, anything I expect you to do, I'm going to be the guinea pig. I'm going to be the one that goes first. My stop story, my go story, judgments about other people, I'll, I'll put it out there. So I think that's that's an important part. We just have to create the environment where people start to realise that, you know, we're not going to come up the front and catch each other falling backwards and then say we trust right. each other. <laughs> right. Um, right. We're not going to go and play paintball or go and, you know, I don't mind some of that stuff people do, but the real work is is the real work of the humans in the room. And I, I, often, I often talk about this, that particularly we are privileged in the work we get to do, Sarah, mm-hmm. to help other human beings to become, I don't like this word, but I'm going to use it better, whatever yeah. better means. Now, with that privilege comes risk as well. Mm-hmm about the way we go about it. I use this as a bit of a, I get people to judge me on something. I ask them if I would prefer vanilla or mint choc chip ice cream. <laughs> and uh, most people go mint choc chip because vanilla's boring and, you know, you're a bit of a way out there sort of a guy. And And I'm like, well, actually, I like vanilla and let me tell you why. And I say to them, did you get an agenda before we came here today? And they look at me, someone will say yes, because I think they think that's what I want to hear. And I'm like, well, you didn't. Then I say this is I like vanilla ice cream because I can add to that whatever I want on a particular day to to suit the circumstance that I'm in. And I say my work is very much like that. And the ingredients in the room, I ask them what the ingredients are and they say it's us. And I go, well, you're different ingredients to yesterday or last week. Mm. And I think this is really important as a manager to realise that every day the ingredients change. Mm. You can start with the base of vanilla. But you've got to then work with the ingredients in the room. And when you start to say that to people, they start to open up. And funnily, within like half an hour the other day, like people were sharing some pretty deep stuff. And and this, and I'm going to just quickly say this, understanding other people is, is undervalued. So this understanding Gosh, they, say that comes that in. So so understanding others is undervalued and this is where the this is where the gold is I think the when the understanding starts like kind of, I look the beauty of us catching up 3 years ago and not just talking the technical stuff means that we know each other pretty well now and we look forward to conversations um, if you don't know each other well in the workplace you'll be in a situation I'm not looking forward to that conversation because really my conversation is transactionally based usually around mm-hmm. a KPI sheet mm-hmm. um or a performance review or something like that, rather than I actually know Sarah, the human being. And um I think that's where we've got to get to.
0: Mm. And and you know, and to the point that you made earlier, and and something that we share, I actually just was talking to a potential client today who was talking about wanting to do Myers-Briggs. And and I said, I'll just I'll let you know, very transparently, we don't practice um, any kind of assessment, because to the oh. point you were making earlier, so we can learn a lot about ourselves. And we can learn a lot about other people when we just slow down enough to pay attention, when we slow yeah. down to, you know, I mean, one of the favorite phrases from, you know, the body of work of adaptive leadership that we both have a strong foundation. That's part of our strong foundation is listen to the song beneath the words. Yeah. And, and it's always, you know, it, it's amazing when you can put people in that situation, um, uh, where they can connect on that human to human level. I mean, we're just, you know, talking to somebody today about if we want to heal a relationship, I mean, one, there needs to be ownership of the right harm that was caused and, and another way we can do that is to start to spend time with each other as a human. Yep. Now, I'm curious to get your thoughts on this because this actually came up in a show that I was on uh, earlier today, and we were talking about the impact of relationships at work are ultimately they're temporary, Right. They're, yeah. they're temporary. You might be there for a couple of years. Maybe you'll be there for 10, 15 years. But, you know, we know that people are moving. And what impact does that have on, you know, our willingness to, to dig deeper, our willingness to share, our willingness to take risks? And so I'm, I'm just curious to get your thoughts on that.
1: Oh, look, I think that we um, – we, it comes back to a mindset there as well. Like I've got some very, very dear friends that I worked with 15 years ago. And I think there's a relational piece here between the amount of time we invested in each other to get to know each other as human beings. So, you know, I know, I know you've got a dog. I know I've met Nick for the first time today, but I've heard a lot about Nick. Um, you've, we've talked lots about our own challenges in our business. So we've actually spent some time talking about the human things before we've got into the the business of the, you know, the real business as people call yeah. it. So yeah. Um, so I think that I, whilst people come and go now you know my very dearest friend has been my dearest friend for 45 years and we can just pick up the phone now and talk like we were we're still 10 years old and there's something in that and that's because we've invested some time and that then becomes it's not about what I can get out of that person yeah because and I've done that don't worry I've been the person who wants to get something and once you're not not once you're no value to me mm. well that's it. We're done. It's a very transactional relationship versus a very transformational human one, which means that, you know, at times you will receive a sneaky little message from me going, "How are you going?" <laughs> and and and, usually, and then you'll come back, and then we'll we'll chat for about half an hour, and then we'll be like, "I've got to go now. I've got to go and do some work." <laughs> but the beauty of that is that we something keeps drawing us back, and it's it's because we're interested. We we are interested in each other, but we're also interested to. To deepen our understanding of each other. And I think, yeah, I think there's a really, it's a really convenient story for us to say. It's very much around things come and go. But at the same time, we've got to get past that and say, what am I prepared to invest
0: mm.
1: in deepening my understanding? And what am I prepared to give about myself so that that person can understand me?
0: Mm.
1: That's a big one for managers because. Again, the old management one hundred one rule book said, "Don't get too close to your people because mm-hmm. one day you're going to have to have a
0: <clears throat> difficult gonna have conversation." To fire them. Mm-hmm. And then,
1: and you know what? That's that's not right. That's a myth because I think the more you know your people, the easier it is to have those conversations.
0: Yeah, a hundred percent. I love. I really appreciate those questions. What am I prepared to invest to understand someone, and what am I prepared to invest to help them understand me? And because so so many of and this goes to relationships generally uh, challenges that come up rubs that come up are usually some kind of um, value conflict right difference of preferences and and maybe there are some things that we can't find the middle on right I mean that we're certainly living in a time where that in some areas is becoming harder yeah but you know it was interesting when when the question was posed and we were talking about it for me, I go, I'm still spending, I'm literally spending most of the time, most of my, I spend more time other than my husband, because we don't have children. I spend more time with my coworkers and colleagues than I do the rest of my family than I do the rest of my friends. Even if they're only with me a year or two years, I'm still spending fundamentally more time with them. And for me, anyway, I want to be connected to the people who I'm going to be spending a ton of time with. I want to understand them. I want to be able to support them and have their back and, and build a relationship where they'll have mine as well. And so I think it's, you know, that that, that sort of identity of, oh, I, I, leave, I leave myself at home and I come to work and I'm my work self. And it's like, well, no, you're still a human with needs. You still have a heart. You still have, right? Like you want that that safety. And I mean, we've just been sold such a bill of goods. In our our capitalist society of like, you cannot have, I, I fundamentally, it is interesting. And it's not, it doesn't always happen. But there are times where, you know, people will, you'll see the shift of, I've been told my whole life. As a manager, don't get too close because you're going to have to fire them. And now, what you're telling me is, I actually can get close and I realize that's how I want to show up. And then they start showing up differently. And then the team starts showing up differently because they're having authentic human connections.
1: Yeah. So, just a couple of things on that. I talked about energy before. So, if you're not trusting implicitly, you're wasting energy, but you're wasting Mm -hmm. more energy when you're trying to deviate away from who you are as a human being. So Mm. who do I have to be right now? Um, I'm on a podcast with Sarah. I better be this way. And who do I need to be when I'm on a call in 30 minutes with a potential new client? Um, Who do I need to be when I go and engage with one of my family members today? But this, this, the absurdity of leaving stuff at the door, Mm. whatever door it is. I, I loved your quote. I saw one of your quotes today, which was brilliant, was about this whole idea of that... Now I'm going to get this wrong, but you'd be able to help me out. It was like, you know, it's about, it was all about how you turn up in certain situations that, you know, leave your home stuff at the door. When oh, you get just to like, work. yeah,
0: my, this is, and I have to give credit to to my colleague Teresa, cause this came out of an interview and yeah. she, she made that, like, she said, isn't it interesting that we spend all this time at work going, well, how do we get people to leave their home stuff at home? But yep. we never think about how do we help them leave their work stuff at work?
1: So so Teresa, I'm going to use that quote at times, and I will I will actually um, quote Properly you on that. Properly credit
0: her. Absolutely,
1: because I think that's important. So here's the thing for me I used to do with my people. I used to give them a, um, a sheet with 400 um, words on it, different feeling words, and I got them to cross out the word good, because good's like a, that's your get out of jail free word. Yeah. How are you going? Good. <laughs> oh, yeah, good. So I'd, I'd check in with them at the start of the day and the end of the day, and look particularly for some of my people because what they weren't good at doing was unpacking their mental suitcase at the end of the day or leaving mm. their suitcase at work. They'd take it home, and it was so full of stuff that when they opened it, clothes went everywhere, all the yucky stuff went everywhere, and they'd, you know, someone'd have to pick up their dirty laundry at home. So I really think this is an important one as a human someone who embraces the humanity in management is you've got to role model it yourself. Yeah. If you want your people to do it, don't be the one that's, that's playing the game of, Oh, look at Mark. Now he's, this is, this is work Mark. Work Mark, when he was bad, what he would do some days he'd walk in and he wouldn't say hello to anybody. he go straight to his office. The next day he'd walk in and he'd walk around the office, high-fiving people and asking them about how they were and how was your weekend people would look at me like, who the bloody hell are you, mate? (laughs) Now, that took a lot of energy. So I think there's something in this for people. It's just like I think this is, I hope I do this pretty well. I just try and show up as myself. And some people appreciate that and love that and some people don't. And you know what? I also say this, Sarah, they're both right.
0: Right. It's a... You know, just like you talked about your journey of it doesn't change overnight. This untangling, it takes a long time. And I think you and I have been incredibly fortunate because somebody once said, you're just so authentic. I mean, you're just you, you know, whether you're on stage, maybe it's just a little amped up version (laughs) of you. But, you know, like I always feel, you know, such a good compliment. People are like, I just want to be friends with you. I think you, you know. But I, and they said, well, you're like, what did, how did you get there? And I said, well, one, I've been incredibly fortunate as have you to be rewarded for my authenticity. Yep. And, and even, even now sitting in front of you, I'm more myself than I was when I was sitting in front of you in Nashville. Yep. And, you know, and, and so, so I think about that from not just for myself, but I think about that for my colleagues. I think about that. How can I reward people? When they share a little sliver of who they are, right? How can I acknowledge and appreciate, make it safe? because I mean, I think and and that goes back to I mean I can I can I can give you the props. I mean, you can give yourself the props too. but part of part of the work that you do and why you're able to make a space so safe so quickly is because very quickly people, you know we have really good bullshit meters. Yep. And they're like, oh, Mark is just this is who he is. This is he's no fuss about it. And no. And, you know, I, I'd hope and i like to think that we do the same fairly quickly. And so then it, people start to open up and and it's not as simple as saying, hey, take down the mask, because I think that and this is a thing. Gosh, this is a theme that has come up in so many of these conversations and so many different perspectives. Sometimes it's so melded onto our face. We don't even know it's there. And yep. we don't even realize that, you know, the the rules we've created for ourselves or we've allowed other people to create for us is masking this true, authentic self, whatever, whatever that might be. And, you know, and it's something that and I've I've mentioned I mentioned this when I was talking with with Nick, Nick, not my husband, Nick, Nick Papadopoulos. But then my husband, Nick, not to confuse, <laughs> we were talking one night and, you know, and he made this really powerful person like he made this observation he said you know it's so sad is because of all these gender roles and all these other roles that have been placed on us it's like nobody gets to just be their true self you know
1: it's it's an it's an interesting one like um i often get described as the big bloke with the warm heart Mm. because like I don't know. And then also get described at times as intimidating. So at the other end of the scale, like you're a bit intimidating, mate. Yeah. Um, <laughs> here's here's an honest. interesting thing of what, what you just said. How can, how, I sort of, what I'm picking up is how, maybe for managers, how can you, you know, those moments where someone shows some vulnerability and and, and God help us, they start to show some emotion and they might shed a few tears. Mm. What I see in the room then is just a whole lot of, like, oh, geez, where do I look? Like, what am I doing? <laughs> give, give them tissues um, because and, and I yeah, want they, them to
0: clean themselves up yeah, because yeah, I'm uncomfortable. Tissues,
1: tissues come to them and stuff. So we had one of those a couple of days ago, a really, really what I call a powerful act of leadership. Mm. Um, and what I love in the room is you can see the, the people are sitting there and you can almost, it's almost like they pop at different times. It's Someone's about to pop, I call it. And this this amazing young um, female in the room she said, I, I want to say something. And I went, okay, here we go. This is going to be it. And she started to cry and she's talked about how terrified she was to speak up. Mm. And we got the, the usual reactions. Here's, here's my point for managers, my response to that because there was an apology mm. and the use of the words I broke down. And I said, mm. can I explain to you what I saw? What I saw was an in, uh, it was an incredible act of leadership. Um, via vulnerability you didn't break down you actually showed and demonstrated strength it's just that we're conditioned that that's breaking down particularly in the workplace and then the word was used I'm embarrassed and I said you should Mm -hmm. be proud so my Mm -hmm. point is this when these things happen and you're a manager I know it's hard because we're human too but just check yourself in that moment and when you hear some of that language offer the person through curiosity, I wonder if that breaking down was actually strength. I wonder if mm. embarrassment was something to be proud of, um, and I also wonder what other people in the room think. And they were, they were like, "Oh my God, that was amazing." Now we don't take those opportunities because usually what we end up doing is, oh oh, 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 "Oh, oh, what do we do here?" And you know, for the big <laughs> bloke at the front of the room, that's me. Some that, that's been hard to. When it first started happening, like I get told this when people walk into the room, Sarah, you're the guy that makes us cry. Yeah. <laughs> and I go, Hello and welcome. My name is yeah. Mark. But but it's like I don't make anyone cry. I yeah. like to think I create a space where people can they might shed some tears through leadership and strength, not through something else.
0: Yeah. It's the, the I I I did a session once and as a banking uh, group and and I appreciated the question. I, he raised his hand. And he said, "I'm gonna be honest, there. I don't know what to do when tears come. Mm-hmm. I just don't even know." And I said, yeah. "Well, so like, how do you show up, or what's the story that comes up?" You know. And it was, you know, I I want I don't want them to feel bad. I don't want them to. You're right. And and so the perspective I offered is, I said, for me, tears come up when something's important. So what are the tears telling us? Yeah. You know, and 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 that reframe you know i want to i want to pause a little bit on that language that you're using because we often talk on the show or in our work of leadership isn't a role it's an act and and sometimes we get so caught in thinking leadership is leading out front or leadership is, I don't know, being really decisive and, and quote unquote, strong. and by strong mm-hmm. we mean not emotional, <laughs> detached <laughs> and all of that. But you know anything we do that has a like a positive or productive impact on the group, you know that that act of courage, that act of vulnerability, that, um, you know, likely, I assume, I'm making assumptions, but I've been in situations where maybe somebody speaks up and they're the only, maybe they're yeah. the only woman, maybe they're, they're the only black woman, maybe there's the only LGBTQA, maybe they're, and um, and that act of leadership is revealing to other people, hey, this is a reality that exists in this group, and you might not have been aware of it, and now you have a choice to do something different because you've heard this, um, you know, and not just being sympathetic. But now you can do something different. And yeah. man, that, that's a powerful act of leadership.
1: I also wonder this too, as you were talking on thinking about this, Sarah, that because we are so conditioned to be in a transactional fix it now mindset, get it right, what's next, get that right, all this sort of stuff. When these moments arrive, the the quick fix it now transactional mindset actually doesn't work right for emotional situations. So. Um, one of the things I hear quite regularly is like little Mark, little Mark sits on my shoulder, and little Mark's been on my shoulder for like five years now. And when emotion turns up and I'm wanting to go to the quick fix and the box of tissues, little mark turns up and goes, Hang on a minute. So my point is this is I think we've we've got to allow that we've got to allow time for processing, mm. and perhaps we've got to allow time for in that moment doing nothing. Yeah. Because doing nothing is doing something that's Especially in that people moment. To, yeah allow people mm-hmm. to process because everyone in the room would have had an experience of what's supposed to happen when tears turn up and and that can be a gender-based thing it can be a whole lot of different ways and mm-hmm. it's like we don't all react the same way these days for me I'm I, I have a lot of empathy for those people and I have I actually have I, I, I'm very proud of them when they do it but early days was like oh, shit, what am I supposed to do now? (laughs) And I'm sure people saw that on my face. And and I guess the point there is you're going to get better at this over time, people. You're not going to be great at it to start with, but if you embrace it, you'll get better with it. And if you show some emotion yourself, it doesn't mean you need to walk into the room and cry, but if you show some emotion and some vulnerability, um, people will be okay to do the same thing. They'll start to mirror what they see coming from their manager. Mm Mm-hmm. A
0: thousand percent. And anyone who's listening to this, whose organization is, you know, exploring things related to mental health, if they're exploring things related to inclusion, if right, like we can't ask people to do things we're not willing to do. I mean, I just had a situation this week, we had a retreat and we were, you know, focusing on dreaming about what's next for us and, and how do we move. And I was pretty emotionally depleted because of a situation that happened within a close relationship. I just, it was, I was, I had an emotional hangover is how Mm. I felt and was still quite emotionally tender. And, um, you know, and I just, uh, I, I apologized. I said, I'm, I apologize that I'm not having the energy I, I usually do, Mm. right? like. Um, or I'm not as light or I'm not as I said, so if you're picking up on that, that's nothing to do with what we're talking about. I'm just, I, I'm exhausted from, from the weekend and Amy, you know, so beautifully reflected back to me. She said, thanks for role modeling a human first company. Like this is, you know, and, and even though I know this, and even though I preach this, right, we, again, it's that unwiring and that untangling of those rules and those like shoulds and, and all Mm. of that. And it's, 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 it's so. I think what's so fascinating to me, I don't know if that's the right word, but I'm going to go with it. we It's quite easy, but we we complicate it and yep. we go, oh, how, what do I need to say and how do I show up? And just, you know, what, what does it look like to just sit with someone? And, and, and what's the script? And, right, like, right. You know, oh, gosh, what, we hear what, that what a lot. What was the
1: script I was given to make sure that I can transactionally deal with this situation and it's not a transactional deal. We're not we're not buying services here when we start to crack into emotions. And the other yeah. word that was coming up for me when you were talking before was, and this is for both managers and for people who are in our space, is you've got to be kind to yourself. Mm. Like this work is bloody hard work and you will deplete all sorts of things, your emotional fuel tank, your physical fuel tank, all those sorts of things get depleted. So you've got to actually be kind. I say that to to people, particularly when I've done immunity to change with them. Mm, mm. The first thing I say to them is don't take this home to your nearest and dearest and go, I had this amazing revelation about myself today, and they'll be like, I've been telling you that for 20 years. So (laughs) there's that one. And, And the other one is be kind to yourself because that can stir up a whole lot of emotions. And, and I think we need to practice, if we're going to be kind to others, if we're going to be empathetic towards others, if we're going to be compassionate towards others, we actually, and this is where experimentation comes in, you need to experiment firstly with yourself. And I love that you shared that vulnerable story because sometimes when we walk into the room, people think we got our shit together.
0: Right, you bet they do. Boy, and they're like, check they this do.
1: dude out. He must be—he's walking two feet above the ground, and you know, there's some there's some family health issues going on in our um mm. in our immediate family at the moment with Alison's dad, and um and those things play on my mind, and and there's other things, and it could be simple things like we're going on vacation next week, or um did I turn the iron off at home, or whatever it might be. But we're human beings as well, and we've got stuff going on, and I think other human beings need to understand that so be kind is I guess what I'd say there be kind to yourself when you are maybe starting to step into some work you have been avoiding
0: and especially now because we deplete so much faster we do you know we've been through we've been through a lot we're still going through a lot and And so maybe that's a, that's a a question for the audience listening is, you know, what's one small experiment you can run to be a little kinder to yourself. Um, And especially, you know, and that's uh, for everyone, but, you know, you and I know that leadership can feel really lonely. Managing Mm -hmm. can feel really lonely. Running a business can feel very lonely. You know, you don't always have somebody with whom you can share or talk to or bounce ideas off of, or maybe say, I don't, I actually don't know, or Mm -hmm. And um and yeah, and, and it's a gift that we can give ourselves. Mark, we could continue talking. And I know Nick is probably listening, going, yeah, just do another 20 minutes and we'll split it into two. <laughs> but it just means we'll have you come back. I I want to be respectful and thoughtful of your time. And um, but I am curious to know, you know, it's the question we ask everyone. Uh, what was a conversation that you had with yourself or with someone else? that was transformative?
1: Um, I think a conversation with myself. Now, you know, trigger warning on this one, it may trigger some people, but um, I'd spoken to you about this before, losing mm. my dad to, to suicide. So um, when I went out to start doing, when I, when I first did this little experiment in the workplace, the, the, the experiment was really about I did it because I felt like it was the right thing to do at that stage. Just at that point, it was the right thing to do. And that's what I would tell myself. But when I left the corporate world and got into um, doing my own thing, I had a lot of time early on because I didn't have a lot of work. And I sat down and I was asking myself a lot of questions around why I was doing this work. And what the conversation I had with myself really ended up with um, coming out with four words. And it really came from a conversation about what drove me in this. And and the the big word there was belong, but it was making every human belong. And it was Mm. very much driven by um, a note my dad left which talked about belonging and Mm. the burden that he'd become. Now, mind you, he had two attempts. This was a note he left after his first attempt, which was unsuccessful, Mm. and then he successfully did what he did. But that's the conversation that I had which drives me today, which is about what does belonging mean? Um, What does belonging mean in different environments? And can belonging actually happen in the workplace? Um, A strong sense of belonging to a group of people, like you said before, that you may or may not spend a lot of time with if they move on, but you do spend a lot of time with in in your day-to-day. So that conversation where I sat back and I had a really difficult conversation with myself about, are you really serious about this? Because if you are there's something driving it more than it's the right thing to do, mm. and it, and you know and I talk about I talk about what happened with my dad all the time with my clients, and I think again they say oh shit that's pretty brave, and I go, no I want you to understand me, and they go now we get it because you don't give us any fancy marketing brochures or anything like that you just come and tell the story and then we go we understand you now, and I think that's the conversation that that was difficult, that I could have avoided, but I had it, and I'm very, very grateful that I had. That doesn't mean that I don't spend every day, I think, about what happened 20 years ago. Not that I Mm -hmm. could have changed it. It's just that it's always there, but it continues to drive me to do what I think is the good work that I do.
0: You're such a guff, Mark. Thank you. Thank you you for sharing that. Man, My
1: pleasure. It's Hopefully, interesting... people will understand the bogan a bit more than what they did an hour ago. Now, you know what I've tried to I like do. That then that you
0: go back to that. Like, okay, you, you, now
1: what I really know, hope people leave with is the No, bogan. I, you know what? You know what I just did. Then I used humour, which yeah, I shouldn't have done, to diffuse the tension. The tension. Mm-hmm. So I'm very sorry, listeners, uh, because mm. I tell people not to do that, and I just mm. did it.
0: Mm. What a beautiful celebrate that catch. There you go. Yeah. Mark, for people who are listening to this and are going, hmm, I, I think I'm ready to sit in that circle or I want to learn more about what it's like to work with Mark. Where is the best place for them to connect with you?
1: Uh, LinkedIn is a great place. And seriously, reach out and send me an invite. And if you want to have a chat, just do that. I learned that from Marty Linsky. He's like, he says, if just send me an email and we can have a chat. And he will have a chat with you. So please reach out on LinkedIn. Um, my website's just um, www.marklabusk.com. Oh, my
0: God. I've been pronouncing it wrong. You
1: Why know what? He... I'm, I'm okay with that. You didn't correct me. Because you're a flawed human. It's okay. It's okay. Oh, don't I d- worry. I don't
0: think I've ever heard your last name and I realized, no, That's I okay. apologize. You know what? Don't, don't, but, I'll say it correctly next time. I've
1: been cold worse. Don't worry about that. No, oh, I know. But um, the name
0: is so important. It's so important. It's so maybe important to get Maybe right. I
1: didn't say anything because I was avoiding the conversation with you. Who knows? But, um, you're like,
0: shit, Sarah, I've known you for three years and you're saying my like name wrong. I mean, I normally just call you like Australian Mark is usually do. how I just, just, I was like, I'm corn. he's croc. Like this is, and croc meaning crocodile, crocodile, not like, croc, you know. So, so the other
1: place, someone on the website, there's books and there's podcasts and there's blogs and, you know, you can sign up and get a fortnightly Mark's Musing newsletter. The other thing I'll quickly mention, and I'm really excited yeah. about this, is that Please. the, the human Human manager academy which is a which is is a modulized version of what happens in the room because lots of people want to work with me but I can't be everywhere at once so that'll be coming out in September which is um there's a leading self module there's a leading the team module and there's a whole lot of really really cool things that have been developed and and the and at the back end of it you then get into what they, we're calling the the forum where for the next 12 months, you will be in a global community where you'll be sharing your experiments that you've been running mm. and you'll be hearing from me at different times, like giving you gentle reminders, little marks sitting on your shoulder going, hey, have you done that thing that that I taught you about? So I'm super excited about bringing that to the world as well, but it's actually been a delight to talk to you again.
0: Yeah, likewise. We will share all of that information in our show notes and, you know, we uh – we follow along and we'll be sure to share. I'm, I'm personally, I'm excited. I'm going to be one of the first people to sign up because I, I've always said, I'm like, I just, I wish we could be someday, someday we will share the stage or we will share a room. It will happen. And, you know, so I'm excited to continue to learn from you and, uh, and cannot, I cannot recommend enough um, that when that does come out, I have no doubt it'll be full of insights and ahas and pauses of, hmm, <laughs> maybe I, there maybe will I be. do this because every conversation I have with you, there's a moment of, oh shit, he's asking me that question. And it's a really, hmm. Okay. As there yeah. is with me,
1: it comes back the other way. So that's what I love is that, that's, you know, I think early days it was like, oh, I've only been out for a year and you have been out for five, but I don't, right. I don't feel that anymore. It's like we are equals. We are sitting on the same footing. And that's what I love about uh, love about you. So thank you very much.
0: Likewise. Thank you so much for joining us today, Mark. Cheers. Our guest this week has been Mark Labusque. And I just I won a name that for three and a half years in my head, the last name was different. And I'm so glad he clarified it for me because our name is some of the most important words to us. So we want to get it right. So Mark Lebusque, not Mark Labusque. Just gonna own that one. Uh, there's a number of things. I always, I always enjoy being in conversation with Mark. And the, the one qu- that question he posed of, "What am I prepared? What am I prepared to invest to understand this person? And what am I prepared to invest for them to understand me?" I just really i am struck by that language of investing and m- being intentional. So that's something I'm going to hold on to. What are you going to hold on to? What comes up for you? We really, we do want to hear from you. I, I, I want to hear what resonates. I want to hear what questions come up for you, what connections you make, what it makes you think of, what anything. So connect with us. You can reach out to us at podcast at saranolwilson.com, P-O-D-C-A-S-T. Nick's going to laugh at me for spelling it out, but podcast at saranolwilson.com. You can find me on social media where my DMs are always open. You can shoot me an email. You can also, if you're interested in learning more about the work that we do and how we can help your team have conversations that matter, check us out at saranolwilson.com You can also pick up a copy of my latest book, Don't Feed the Elephants, wherever books are sold. You can also pick up copies of Mark's book, his latest one, um, Being Human and the Little Handbook of, of Being Human. I highly recommend both. And if you would like to support the show, please consider becoming a patron. You can visit patreon.com slash conversations on conversations, where not only your financial support will support the amazing team that makes this show possible, but you'll also get access to some pretty great uh, swag and additional information. And if you haven't already, please rate, review, And subscribe to the show. You can do this on iTunes, Spotify, or other podcast platforms. This helps us uh, get the word out. It helps with the algorithms and continue to bring on amazing guests each week like Mark. A huge thank you to our incredible team who makes this show possible, to our producer, Nick Wilson, our sound editor, Drew Knoll, our transcriptionist, Olivia Reinert, and our marketing consultant, Caitlin Summit Nelson, along with the rest of the Snowco team. And a big final thank you to our friend and guest, Mark Lebusque. Uh, Again, I can't recommend connecting with him enough and following his work and learning how to be a more human manager. This has been Conversations on Conversations. Thank you so much for listening, joining, and giving us your time and attention. And remember, when we change the conversations we have with ourselves and with others, we can change the world. So please take care, make sure you rest, rehydrate, do what you need to do to recharge, and we will see you again soon. Bye.